0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.
1: I am. Hello, hello, and welcome to the post credit Pod. We are excited for today. Again, I say that every week, but Eric and I were just talking about how fun it's going to be, not only to dig into the news and the quick hitters and Shang-Chi with some spoilers, but the future of the MCU as a whole. It's really the first time we can kind of speculate on a wide grand uncertain scale, post infinity saga, because otherwise everything's been a little bit expected. And now we're finally getting into corners where we don't know what's gonna happen, Eric.
2: Well, and I would say all the MCU chat that we've had in the year of this podcast, outside of when we've been recapping the Disney Plus shows, has been largely hypothetical theoretical. But now and with a the lot comp- of
1: backward glances too. And right, I- exactly. already happened.
2: But now with the both the release of I mean, there's a few things. There's the release of Shang-Chi. There's this week's What If, which I think did a lot to give credence to our theory that What If is going to be a tangible part of the MCU's overall narrative. And then, of course, the No Way Home trailer, which we dove in deep. But I think the three of those things for the first time since Endgame give us an anchor around our MCU conversation and makes our theorization about its future more tangible and more fact-based.
1: It feels like for the first time we have a telescope when looking at the stars of the MCU, we're like, Uh oh, that makes more sense. I can see it clearly now. I
2: I gotta be honest, and I put this out in a tweet last week, and I have brought this up to you. I think Marvel could be on the verge of their best five to six film run yet. They're going, and we've talked about this on the pod before. They're going Shang Chi, Eternals, No Way Home, Doc Strange Two, Thor Four, Black Panther Two. Before I saw Shang Chi, I was—I I don't think worried is the right word, but I was, and I don't know if apprehensive is the right it was word. It's more like
1: laissez-faire. We're like, yeah, hey, we'll see, we'll see, eh. like, right, yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll see how the chips fall.
2: Speculative, like, oh yeah, exactly. We'll see how the chips fall. The quality of Shang-Chi completely flipped my attitude entirely to where I'm at the point where now I'm at what I just said. I think that this next year of MCU storytelling is as exciting as they've ever had.
1: Oh, yeah. we're And we're going to get into it in more details in this pod. Before we hop into news, though, we got to say, as always, please follow us on Twitter at PostCredPod. Also on Instagram, please leave us five-star reviews if you like what you hear. And if you want, hit us both up individually. At great underscore catsby at Eric Italiano on Twitter with theories, comments, questions, topics you want us to cover on the show. We are always down to hear from you guys. Just let us know.
2: My man. And if for some reason you're not following us on Twitter yet, please do so. We're closing in on 6K. Oh. I've got a I've got a lofty goal of trying to hit 10K by year's end. Probably won't happen, but I'm I'm kind of a swing big and <laughs> fail spectacularly, guys. So so that's my vibe. Also, again, we're on the countdown to 69 Apple podcast reviews, so if you want to contribute to that, that would be greatly appreciated
1: as well. Yes, our sophomore sense of humor needs a boost. We need to get to 69 Apple reviews. Please help us. All right, let's jump into our news, starting off with a particularly interesting cinematic journey that my friend and co-host here, Eric, went on recently, and and I gotta say, I'm excited because I have not seen one of these two movies still.
2: Oh, really? Okay. So I um have you seen the
1: Valdoc on Prime? I have not seen the Valdoc, but I've heard unbelievably good things. And of your two movies, I have not seen uh the first one. Tombstone. Yeah, I have not seen Tombstone yet. Five-star film. Boom.
2: There you go. Um, so it, it- In case you haven't heard, there is a Val Kilmer documentary on Amazon Prime that came out in the last three weeks or so that is composed of footage of himself that he's been shooting his whole life. Like, imagine recording all of the main events in your life from the time that you were, I don't know, 10 years old until now. Now, my relationship with Val Kilmer is that of he was Batman once and he's in Heat. But beyond that, I never really engaged in his career but I had heard such good things about this doc. And because of the nature of my work, I like a nice background noise of things to watch. So a documentary like this is sort of the perfect watch with one eye, like you're watching, but you're not really watching. Enjoyed it. I had not known that Val Kilmer had been diagnosed with throat cancer um, and now has the, the, uh, the raspy voice. Like I did not know that, especially considering that he is set to be in Top Gun Maverick which I wrote about this week on bro Bible, Tom Cruise, who for as nuts as he is, he does come across as a thoughtful dude at times. And he apparently was the driving force between Val being in this film. Um, And really, I just wanted to touch on this quick, because I think people who are like five to 10 years older than me, and I'm born in 1993, were shocked at my lack of Val Kilmer awareness to people who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, he was a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Not that I grew up then, but I just know from cultural right, osmosis. Exactly.
2: So I went back and watched two of his films that are widely thought of to be his best. First was Tombstone. Now, I'm not a Western guy. Tombstone actually came out the year that I was born. But it's Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. um, And it's pretty much just like a who's who of that guy actors. It's got... Stephen Lang and Michael Bean and Billy Bob Thornton and just, just so many people. And this is nothing new, so I'll just be on it quick. Val Kilmer's performance was Oscar-worthy. The fact that he didn't win, he didn't even get nominated, is shocking. I mean, when, when you talk a scene-stealing performance, his character in Tombstone is the definition of that. I mean, just utterly compelling every second he's on screen. I would highly recommend that. I watched Top Gun. Wasn't as much of a fan. Very much not up my alley. I had been asked, How have you not seen Top Gun by now? Well, I love Top Gun. For a majority of our lifetime, though, it had become a punchline for like homo which there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not something like 23 year old Eric actively sought out, you know? Right. Uh, of course, with, with the sequel coming out, which when I watched was supposed to be in like two months perfect time to do it so I bring this up because I just want to say if you haven't seen the Val Kilmer doc go watch it remarkable I don't know if I'd call it remarkable but it's a it it's a study in the human condition when the human condition is in the public spotlight which I think is fascinating like how do you balance being who you are with being a famous person and how do those two things marry and then go back and watch some of his films and I found that Yes, this dude was fantastic. And Tombstone, which there's a whole story, there's there's tons of stories of how it came to be and how Kurt Russell was like the ghost director of it. And there's just so many fascinating Hollywood stories about it. Go check out Val. Go check out Val Kilmer's films. I've had a, a an awesome movie fan week diving into that world.
1: <laughs> now speaking of Top Gun, unfortunately on To start off this news, Top Gun Maverick has moved from November 19th to 2021 to May 27th, 2022. And Mission Impossible 7 has moved from May 27th, 2022 to September 30th, 2022 over Delta concerns. Do you know that for a fact? I mean, that is the primary uh, motivation for moving them. And I would say if Shang-Chi underperforms this weekend, we're going to see a lot of other
2: But but it's tracking to do extremely well.
1: It's tracking well, but we also one, tracking wasn't an exact science long before pandemic ever happened. Two, we don't know how reliable tracking is in these COVID times. That's been a huge box office conversation. I
2: think it's word of mouth and the fact that it's the first new MCU film in the future, you know, because obviously yeah. Black Widow took place in the past. And I also think had a
1: hybrid release, which which cut into boxing. I
2: think it's gonna get over the line. Again, I'm generally more yeah. optimistic about the outlook of the film industry in relation to COVID than you are. But even regardless, I think that Shang-Chi has the elements to do what it needs to do to keep the fall slate ticking forward.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm I was high on Candyman, proven right. I'm high on Shang-Chi, which you know, that's that's not like a going out on a limb prediction. Oh, yeah. a Marvel movie might do well, but I, I agree with you. I think it's going to deliver. And I think. Well, well, I'd it. say that
2: I, I I would say if Shang-Chi had debuted to a 72 rotten score, it wouldn't be such a uh, sure thing. But I think the word of mouth from people like you and me and not just you and I, the industry at large have given this thing real legs.
1: And I think if you, if you guys follow like someone like Entertainment Strategy Guy or a couple other analysts, it does look like we actually might be on the downswing of, of Delta uh, hospital admissions and, and new infections and, and whatnot. So we could be coming out the other side. We'll see. Obviously, yeah. fingers crossed. Stay safe, everybody. Yep. Uh, elsewhere news, final No Time to Die trailer dropped, which to me further proves that when uh, it was reported by, I believe, Variety that eon productions was like oh no we're moving on october 8th we are that that is set in stone this is further proof like we are full steam ahead on the last james bond movie of daniel craig's career
2: this trailer got me going dude i'm not gonna lie bond any thug can kill i have to know i can trust you
0: well i understand double o's have a very short life expectancy
2: (laughs) it referenced it was sort of like a retrospective trailer and it sort of highlighted you know think about who you were in 2006 I was in middle school right I can Didn't tell you Craig... exactly
1: where I saw Casino Royale because I was right. at the Big Field Theater in New York City which is now closed it's a famous iconic theater could fit 2,000 people had never seen a James Bond movie in theaters before right and you know now I'm a huge Bond fan who's gone back watched the whole franchise I've read the Ian Fleming books like all because of Casino Royale thank you Daniel Craig
2: Right. So I think that the trailer sort of further hammered home that this could be as good, if not better, than Skyfall, which I think is the seminal Bond film of our lifetime. I think it's the only Bond film to make over a billion dollars it racked up a few academy award nominations one of which for cinematography. I still like casino
1: royale more but i love skyfall you're you know you're talking about two two films that i really really Yeah, love. but are you just
2: trying a little bit to be too film snobby there or do you genuinely believe no
1: I, I genuinely love casino royale i think it's the best james bond character film i've ever seen
2: yeah okay that in that regard yes but in terms of like spectacle blockbuster i don't think it holds a candle it's
1: no but but i ultimately like like the character stuff but so
2: i just to because you know we've been talking about no time to die for literally a year now where is your hype for this film do you think it could be the best craig bond film yet
1: uh hype is huge been huge i actually didn't like the final trailer as much as i liked the first two but i still liked it i'm still excited for it and uh, you know, I think it's gonna be h- hard to beat Skyfall and Casino Royale in terms of quality. I-, I really think that's a high bar to cross. Uh, I'm not as invested in his relationship with Leia Sado's character as I was like with him and and um Eva yep, Green's yep, Vesper. Yep, yep, yep. But having said that, this is, and like you mentioned, the most serialized. Uh, segment of the James Bond franchise ever. No other film, uh, no other uh, series of films has been as self referential and uh, continuous as these have. These are more or less a, a story that carries over film, from film to film rather than a one off. So, having said that, I think it has the potential because we're building on top of each other rather than isolated movies to deliver the most emotionally satisfying finale we've seen from a grand franchise in recent memory.
2: Well, with that said, do you think that they're priming us for Bond to die?
1: It's a it's a popular talking point that's going around right now. I think it makes sense, given all the things we just said in serialization and the darker, grittier, more grounded and I'm tone. not
2: talking like a bait-and-switch Dark Knight Rises death. I'm talking like an actual death.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and I, so I think it makes sense, given all that, I personally don't think for a single second, it's going to end with James Bond dead. If I, if Why not did, though?
2: Why, you know, why not? Why wouldn't
1: they? At the end of the day, it's still an uplifting P, you know, aspirational yeah. Yeah. self-patriotic PG 13 action blockbuster. And I don't think no. they're going to do that. I think they don't want to confuse fans as to like, Oh, the James Bond franchise is over now. Having said that, if they did, I think that would be so cool. Such a bold stroke, storytelling-wise, a great way to end a serialized five-film franchise. I would be 100% on board.
2: Yeah, same but I don't think The right. exact reasons that you brought up, just the nature of blockbuster filmmaking causes me to have my doubts. But in terms of narrative arc, it seems primed.
1: He, he sacrifices himself for Leia Sado and, uh, you know, makes the ultimate play. Yeah. All right, Red Notice received its first teaser trailer, and uh, for Netflix, it's the upcoming blockbuster with Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot. Uh, this is a movie that was originally at Universal and at Universal. Oh, basically.
2: really? Yeah, yeah they, oh. they
1: relinquished it because it's an original action action blockbuster whose budget was careening past 165 million. Now at Netflix, I believe it's around 200 million. So they basically said, you know, go find another suitor because we we can't we can't do this. This is a huge play for Netflix. They've been, as we've talked about on this franchise, uh, pod, and as we both covered for Bo Bible and Observer, have been desperately trying to develop their own franchises. This is a very big deal for the streamer.
2: Now, I think this film looks fun, but do you think it looks good?
1: I think that's, that's a very good question, but I think the stupid nuanced answer is it doesn't need to be good to be fun. Well, and my next question was, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. I think <laughs> as much as Netflix wants to fancy itself a high-minded, awards-winning streamer, their their real bread and butter is the middle of the road uh TV series and films. The broad appeal action-adventure films uh like, you know, Old Guard and Project Power and Extraction which aren't really good movies but have some cool action sequences and the same type of kind of non-threatening, not super ambitious creative TV shows that do big numbers for them. That's really their bread and butter. There's nothing fine, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with them being CBS Max,
2: you know, to your point, I was listening to a conversation on the Watch podcast from The Ringer, so shout Wait, out to Wait, there's Gilles. other
1: podcasts besides ours, I don't <laughs> believe. It.
2: And um they were talking about how Netflix has saved Manifest and how that's the type of series that they would never green light the pilot, but hopping on board once it's already established is their MO. So I think that the elements of Red Notice sort of play into that notion. They don't give a fuck what the movie is. They just know that it's got Ryan Reynolds, The Rock and Gail Gadot in it and know that audiences are already sold on those three to which I ask, I think you've got to assume that it's going to break all of the Netflix records in terms of weekend streams and one week streams (laughs) and one month streams. So that has to be enough to green light a sequel, right?
1: I I said this in a tweet earlier today. I have to believe the almighty Netflix algorithm spit out Dwayne Johnson plus Ryan Reynolds plus Gal Gadot plus globe trotting action equals success. Like, that just seems the most computer generated strategy ever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, We know because Scott Stewart. It's like that
2: South Park sketch where they make fun of how Family Guy creates jokes. And it was (laughs) just like too um
1: the manatees, the, right or something yeah like that. yeah
2: that's pretty much what you're saying here yeah
1: and yeah, I, I, I listen again, it was set up at Universal originally and these are three leads you and I really like. So I think it's gonna be great. Uh, we know because the head of film said so Scott Stuber at Netflix said that their, their big budget films, they're looking for a minimum of 70 million views within the first 28 days. Uh, Extraction's their most watched original film ever, according to their own data. This'll, which, blow,
2: this, this, this'll blow that away.
1: Well, let's see, because 99 million views for Extraction, that's a lot, but the benefit is that they have more subscribers now than when Extraction came out. So it's also
2: it's very what
1: A yeah, sequel, almost assuredly.
2: Also what? extraction i going go for it was it was one of the first COVID films to drop.
1: Exactly. It dropped in April of 2020. Really. And now, and now here's
2: what I, and then I, I just want to touch on one thing quick, and then I want to ask you one more thing, and then we will move on. Gal Gadot playing the quote unquote villain was not something that I expected. I think that's a great change of pace for her. I would love to see a new wrinkle to what she does. Obviously her M.O., is being endlessly I don't even want to say watchable but look atable like you just want to look at her
1: she's a, she is not a gorgeous woman that But she's sure.
2: all but she also combines that with a charismatic earnestness yeah I am looking forward to seeing that charisma being applied to something darker is not the right word in the context of this film but in a non-hero role I think that, that that'll be good for her but here's the question that I think Red Notice faces and also Netflix's strategy faces where I think there's kind of a flaw here. It, it, it speaks to both what they're doing, what they're about to do right, but what I also think that they're doing wrong. Do you have more faith in slash are you more pumped for this or the Gray Man?
1: The Gray Man because it's the um, Russo brothers who who I like and think can do good action and because it has one of the most stacked casts possible. Uh, that's not anything against red notice. I just think the talent involved and well, if you look
2: at the is- top three, it's Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling and Anna de Armas against The Rock, Ryan Reynolds and Gall. I'd argue the red notice trio is bigger.
1: I-, I would. But the great man has like seven other names that are that are, you know, somewhat hitters that yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. So I'm more excited for that but you know that that's nothing against Red Notice. I I just think
2: well I just and I, I think that you and I are on the same page about the gray man because I think we're seeing a little more meat on its bones. Yeah. Like uh, Red Notice reminds me in not a good way and not just because of the fact that starring Ryan Reynolds a lot of their Michael Bay swing.
1: Which which interestingly enough, when we talk about the 70 million benchmark that Scott Stuber, the head of Netflix film said, he said, you know, a caveat to that is a sequel is not going to happen to Six Underground because creatively it just wasn't there. So yeah. there needs to be at least a little bit of goodwill beyond just good numbers. Right.
2: right. And I just think my point is that like, While it's obviously a smart bet to bet on the likes of Gal and The Rock and Ryan, I worry that they're ignoring the foundational plot and drama that is making us excited for the Gray Man. You know what I mean? Like Red Notice and this sort of boils back to what I asked at the top. I think it looks fun. I'm not so sure if it looks good. When it comes to the Gray Man, I think it'll be working in both of those fields. And ipso facto, I'm more excited for that.
1: I guess my final point would be I look at the trailer for Red Notice and I'm like, this looks on the same level as San Andreas, which I don't think was necessarily a a great movie, but was extremely fun and extremely commercially successful. So if it was the same level quality, to me, that would be a huge win. I'd be like, fuck yeah, that was great. Yeah. So, Uh, and then
2: I I guess, Bo sequel is all but guaranteed.
1: Pretty much. And to your point about Gal Gadot, switching it up a little bit while watching that trailer i got strong oceans eight vibes and i'm like you know what she should be in that world like doing something with a whole squad yeah i mean well this i mean this
2: this may be it because while there are thieves positions ryan reynolds and the rock as sort of equals she seems to be the ulterior force against them which hopefully will give her more time to shine
1: yeah i'm excited for that all right, let's move into our quick hitters. The Wheel of Time dropped its first teaser today. It's the 14 book series that Amazon's trying to adapt into a TV show with Rosamund Pike. I mean, good luck making that coherent because I feel like that's a lot of material. Yeah. Vacation. was there. Uh, trailer was there. Uh. Yeah, I didn't really like the trailer. I'm not going to lie. But it was, you know, a teaser, so hopefully it gets better. Uh, Vacation, friends, getting a sequel on Hulu. I was pleasantly surprised because I, I quite enjoyed that movie. I've yet to watch uh, you know, solid comedy. Check it out. John Cena is definitely Cena, definitely baby. One. He's coming. Yeah. Shazam: Fury of the Gods wraps up production. Underratedly, a chance to be like one of the better comic book movies in in the upcoming, uh, uh, you know, avalanche of them. I feel like it's being a little slept on. Well, I think the additions of Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu,
2: Rachel Zegler, and I believe somebody else are interesting. And I definitely think it'll be better than the first, well, better in terms of how much I like it. I think you're higher on that film than I am, but I definitely am prepared to like
1: the sequel more, for sure. Disney developing a sequel to The Rocketeers and a sequel to Jungle Cruise. All right, painful admission time. I've never seen The Rocketeer.
2: The same. Wow, people are going to blame us on Twitter. I didn't even know it was a thing until I had heard. I mean, like I had seen photos of the guy, but I had a beloved never loved
1: like, cult classic. Like people are going to be upset when they hear that both of us haven't seen it. It's got a very like 1920s
2: Metropolis vibe to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, a contemporary throwback, if that makes sense. Yeah. Huh.
2: Jennifer <laughs> Connolly, Alan Arkin, Paul Servino. Interesting.
1: The head of Nickelodeon said two of the upcoming Avatar movies will be, Avatar The Last Airbender movies, will be CG animated. That doesn't bother me. It's fine. No,
2: I thought it was the series. I thought it was the new
1: series. I think he was talking about the two upcoming theatrical uh, movies. Okay,
2: well, folks, if you care that much, go ahead and fact check it.
1: Yeah, but, you know, that I'm fine with that. The original cartoon yeah, was, um, you know, not computer The response
2: to CG seemed to be not all that great, but then to, on my end, I'm thinking, what did y'all expect?
1: Yeah, people want it to be exactly the same. I'm I'm fine if they do tweaks. You know, it doesn't I've not I'm not a student of animation. People who know more about animation can right. rightfully point out what they think or don't think and what they like. It's you know, just get the story and the humor beats right and I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Uh for his upcoming thriller My Son, which debuts on Peacock, Peacock September 15th, James McAvoy didn't have necessarily a script to himself. It was all improv'd and reacted to in live time to what the other characters who did have a script were kind of telling him. So it was, it's this unique little actor experiment. Which
2: it's also, that is what, so it is a remake of a 2017 French film directed by the same director. That's what he did in the original with his lead as well. As I wrote about this today, McAvoy is only 42 and he spent the last decade in sort of franchise filmmaking. This is the type of guy who I think should be contending for Oscars. You know, I want more from him. And when he does things like split and like this, where he shows people that he's willing to push the boundaries of what acting is, I'm very bullish on his next ten years.
1: There you go. You heard it here first. All right, Seinfeld, all nine seasons coming to bow, Netflix bow, October
2: first. <laughs> how was that? That's
1: <laughs> pretty good. It's not gonna lie. It's pretty good. Thank you, sir. Uh, Warner Brothers. Animations Injustice will release on October ninth, nineteenth. Pretty excited for that one. I'm not gonna lie. Fuck yeah. Yeah. See,
2: and that's one of the things you you're you're not a big gamer. This is an yes. iconic DC story that was born out of video games, which is pretty incredible. A lot of it was not ripped, but uh, included into Zack Snyder's Justice League, i.e., Superman going rogue. So, this is one of the my favorite Justice League stories of my lifetime. Ooh. Warner Bros. Animation always brings the heat, so definitely keep an eye out for this one.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. All right, DC Fandom on October 16th. We're going to get a new Batman trailer. We're going to get first looks at The Flash and Black Adam first looks. Behind the scene looks at Aquaman 2 and Shazam 2. Uh, You know, Fandom near and dear to the PostGrad Pod's heart because we did our uh, first kind of podcast month built around DC Fandom. Yes, sir.
2: Great point. I had not even really thought of that. But yeah, it's a great point. Shout out to them. Dude, new, new Batman trailer. Give it to me.
1: Oscar Isaac, Forrest Whitaker, Kate Blanchett, Zendaya, John Voight, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jessica Lang, and, and James Conn are all circling roles in Francis Ford Coppola's *Mega which is described as his dream project. It's going to cost more than one hundred million dollars, a lot of which he's putting up himself.
2: Mm-hmm. Eighty-two. So, Look, man, love to see it. Love to absolutely see this man. I respect. Like I was reading about this week about Ed Asner, RIP. Pretty much worked until he couldn't. And I just love that people loving their art so much that they'll keep doing it literally until their dying day.
1: Yeah, I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, Dream Projects, All-Star Cast, 100 million, I'm in. Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke are going to co-star in Raymond and Ray at Apple Studios. Uh, it's about two half-brothers reunite at the funeral of their father, both of whom grapple with the legacy of their difficult relationship with their demanding parent. You know, just another star-laden, juicy, meaty drama from Apple, which really seems to be churning them out left and right in the upcoming months. I'm pretty excited. Hell of
2: a fucking duo. That is a fucking killer combo.
1: It's a real, real nice combo. I could definitely see them as cagey, spiky little brothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A new Expendables film is in the work. Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture all set to return. 50 Cent Mega Fox. Megan Fox will also have joined the cast. Uh, I don't care about the Expendables franchise at all.
2: Same. They're
1: terrible movies. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a single one. <laughs> they're they're awful. Don't see any of them. Bloodsport Project rumored to be in the works. I'm mid to late 2022 production. Yeah, sure.
2: No brainer to me. Absolute. Yeah. He is ins- he insulin became one of my favorite top five DCEU characters Like that.
1: I really hope Ratcatcher shows up because if if they don't, they're missing out on milking a great dynamic. Right. And Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson are going to star in Dexter Fletcher's Ghosted at Apple. The project is being described as a high concept romantic action adventure in the vein of romancing the stone. People forget they had some crackling chemistry in Winter Soldier.
2: That, and I will say, if this, like Jungle Cruise, and this is sort of the beginning of an uh, action adventure romance trend
1: like a swashbuckling am- romance yes i am all fucking for it let's
2: go baby <laughs> chris <laughs> evans gonna- is like i think he actually i think the pair of them are slept on i mean yes garjo just racked up two oscar noms what was that a year or two ago but i just think in general dramatically they're underrated because they're both so gorgeous but the combination of those two's acting chops and uh action franchise abilities. That that seems like a sure win bet to me.
1: Your love of swashbuckling, action adventure, sci-fi romance has me convinced that you're gonna be like, I don't know, like a year from now, COVID's in the rear view. You're gonna be like on a cruise with the squad, you know, you and the boys, you're gonna be partying. A woman, hapless, gonna fall off the edge of the boat. You're gonna be like, Holy shit, I gotta do something. You're gonna, you're gonna dive in, you're gonna save her. And that woman is gonna be your future wife. And then I'm I just I'm, have this feeling.
2: I'm gonna yell up to my boys. Make sure to write this down. This is the first act.
1: (laughs) I like that. All right, let us move into our What If episode 4 conversation. Speaking of romantic sci-fi, baby. There you go. All right, so I mean this with no disrespect. I like What If. I'm enjoying it. I just don't love it. And I see here you have so many notes written down, such good in-depth insight. Do you want to kind of spearhead this? Because I, I genuinely... I'm not thinking too deeply about what if other than its potential connections to Loki and kind of the the greater multiverse okay. beyond. Okay. All right. So if, if to... you if you love what if out there, please don't get mad at me. I still like let's
2: it. Let's try to <laughs> parse through this as smoothly as we can. Do you think that this week was the best one yet?
1: I liked episode three more, but okay. I understand that I'm in the minority and acknowledge that. I still like this episode, of course. Do
2: you think that this is the MCU's darkest chapter not named Infinity War?
1: It's and, it's and
2: to that point, not even Infinity War as a whole. That film's like last 20 minutes. No,
1: I don't. I, I still think WandaVision's darker. And I, um, it's hard for me to get as emotionally attached in a half hour animated anthology as opposed to an ongoing sequential story. Okay.
2: So those were some of my broader questions. Now for some of my granular thoughts. Folks, chalk up another point for romantic sci-fi because I feel like we've been bringing it up a lot these last few weeks.
1: And I love how committed you are to it.
2: This is it. This is what the fuck I'm talking about. But it also wades into what I am now calling a sub genre, tragic sci-fi. Ooh. Which is something very Eternal Sunshine-esque.
1: What about Inception?
2: Inception is romantic.
1: Because, not, it not ultimately, tragic,
2: because it ultimately ends happy.
1: Even though Maul's dead?
2: She was always dead. That was never going to uh-huh. change. Yeah, okay, but okay. he finds it. But that is a good comp. This week's show struck me very like Eternal Sunshine-esque, which I'm not sure if you're as well-versed in that film as I am. But sort of the final memory meeting between Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. And just for context for all folks out there, this is my favorite film of all time. So that's why it's my like reference point to romantic sci-fi. Final meeting between those two is in Montauk and the world is literally crashing around them. And it's a very heartbreaking idea like because they're, they're saying goodbye to each other for what they think will be forever. But there's also something vaguely beautiful about accepting the finality of it all. And I think this week's What If tapped into that Dr. Strange literally went through centuries of hell to try to fix this problem. But by the end, he ultimately accepts his fate. And I think that in the context of like, I mean, yes, he destroyed the universe to do so. But letting go of like the love of your life through the vehicle of sci-fi is something that I just very much enjoy. Like sci-fi being the vehicle that delivers you to your ultimate conclusion, I very much enjoy. Christine Palmer says to him the words, I love you. This is a serious question. Have those three words ever been uttered in the MCU like that? I love okay. you. Straight up.
1: I had to have. I was point.
2: struggling to, I was racking my brain trying to think of an MCU film that is leading to its I romance.
1: Peg, Peggy and Steve or Tony and Pepper. And yeah, 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 but, but just like it. a straight
2: up, I love you. You know what? I, I, my point is that so much I felt like this leans into romance more than the MCU has in the past. And in a way that I would like to see it going
1: forward. I can get behind that for sure. I think because it's very sexless and sanitized the MCU. Most mainstream blockbusters are these days. There's nothing like the nineties and eighties where there was some hotness. And that's the one thing I liked about wonder woman, 1984 is the great sparkling chemistry between Chris Pine and Gal Godot, because so often these blockbusters are Utterly devoid of romance.
2: Well, and that's why I point this out. For them to phrase it, I love you, and have the whole episode be built around Stephen Strange's universe-spanning love of her, I think is a very powerful thing. Now, more granular. So those are sort of my thematic points. More granular plot points. It's interesting how when the Ancient One tries to intervene and she says, Stephen, her death is an absolute point. If you turn on closed captions, Absolute Point is capitalized, which suggests it's a canonical phrase. Is that supposed to be a Nexus event? And if so, why didn't they just call it that? And that makes me wonder, are we going to be seeing Absolute Points become a feature of the MCU going forward to sort of add weight to the multiverse? Like, yes, everything's crazy, but there are certain things that that cannot be changed.
1: I think that's a great question. I think it's very interesting is it an absolute point the sibling concept to the nexus event it is the reason it's different because someone like a scarlet witch can be a nexus being whereas we don't know if someone can be like an absolute being whatever that might mean i I hope it's a concept concept explore further and isn't just a little throwaway line in one small episode of one because the fact that
2: the a and the p in absolute point were capitalized suggests that that's a term that they're trying to establish
1: it seems to me like kang would come back to absolute points at some point you know oh, i am
2: gonna bring up kang don't you worry (laughs) lay it on
1: me brother i love
2: it that'll come at the end uh, so Strang, Strang, Strang.
1: Listen, now I kind of want to see Kang and Strange do a what little if, uh, what body What if fusion.
2: Dr. Strange and Kang fucked?
1: Listen, <laughs> that that baby would be super fucking powerful.
2: Um. All right. So <clears throat> Strange goes to Kadriostro's library where he meets a character named Obang. In the comic books, Obang is one of Cagliostro's many uh, aliases. And Cagliostro is also mentioned in the original Doctor Strange film. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And then it's likely in this version that we see of him. He is actually Cagliostro, and therefore the original Sorcerer Supreme himself. Is he a good guy? No. Cagliostro is actually a foe of Doctor Strange and could have connections to the darker aspects of the mcu such as the darkhold blade and even the likes of morbius and ghost rider he also has comic book connections to dr doom cool so just to give you an idea of what character exists in
1: dude's running with a bad crowd yeah god morbius looks terrible <laughs> yeah i
2: know all right. Sorry, dude. I have a lot of notes here that yeah, I Yeah, so I that's
1: understand. why I wanted you to take it too, because I'm not as in depth on what if.
2: Okay. Do we recognize any of the multiversal creatures other than what we believe to be Shuma Gorath? No, I, right?
1: I'm gonna get to that actually in a later, a later okay. point.
2: Okay. Um at the end, Strange doesn't appear to be dead. He appears to be trapped in a spherical universe prism thing. Something to keep an eye on, given how I have been hammering this theory that and while this week made me less confident in my theory before I had seen the episode, I'm still vaguely on board. And that is that Doctor Strange Supreme somehow ties into the No Way Home trailer. Now, I had believed this before this week's had come out based on what head writer A.C. Bradley had told us about Doctor Strange's journey.
0: Well, Doctor Strange, it's all about loss. It's like where would loss lead a man, Mm. especially a man who has these kind of powers? How far would he go? And then you kind of go big, weird, and wilder.
2: What Shang-Chi director Destin Daniel Cretton told us about Doctor Strange's Phase Four whereabouts. This is something that came up with both WandaVision and Loki, and I want to give you a chance to get ahead of it, given the inclusion of Wong and the very mystical, magical elements of the film i have a feeling people are going to be asking where the hell is dr strange and why is he not doing his job so is there any response that you have to that question sir
0: i will respond by saying you are not alone in asking that question (laughs) and there is a very clear answer to that question um but yeah the the uh all of all of those types of where people are in the universe at this particular moment, um, where there are clear reasons why doc, Doctor Strange is not there. Like I wish Doctor Strange, we could have put <laughs> Doctor Strange in in, in our movie, um, but there's a there are very clear reasons why uh, the characters who showed up could show up very briefly. There's also a very clear reason why they're not physically in the room, um, but uh, all, all of that is, uh, is a big conversation with Kevin and the other right producers and directors who are working on other things.
2: Well, I just find the strange thing so funny because the last time we really saw him, he was like, my job is to protect your reality, douchebag. And reality has been absolute chaos since <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are waiting for What If to connect itself to the greater MCU lore I thought it was going to come this week, and I will insert the clip here, but I posted on Twitter a comparison of Doctor Strange's supreme, sort of evilly gravelly voice, with the evil gravelly voice of Doctor Strange that we hear in the No Way Home trailer. Well, I had
0: the courage. I spent centuries, sacrificed everything for Christine. And now can you save her? No, (laughs) Steven.
1: we can be careful what you wish for parker and they're very similar but
2: they are deep
1: dive in like a conspiracy theorist they
2: are very similar now we've seen promotional photos from what if that showed doctor strange supreme crossing paths with captain carter so if it doesn't tie into no way home i'm beginning to think that what ifs MCU lore connection is gonna be in the form of a direct lead-in to Dr. Strange 2.
1: Direct Doctor Strange 2 or No Way Home?
2: To Dr. Strange 2. I I, I am I, while I think Doctor Strange Supreme could factor into No Way Home, I think the events of what if at large are going to affect Doctor Strange 2. Do you think room. the
1: elapsed time will be too great between the two projects? Well, what if
2: it occurs outside of time?
1: No, I know. But for the casual fan, this is going to end this month in September. Doctor Strange 2 doesn't come out to what, mid-2022?
2: Yeah, but the MCU has had gaps of six-ish months before. I mean, That's yeah, not new true, for them.
1: I think a movie is different than like an animated series, which isn't going to have as much casual audience penetration. Yeah.
2: I just think the combination of the rumors that Captain Carter and Shuma Garath are going to be in Doctor Strange 2, plus the promotional images of Doctor Strange Supreme crossing paths with Peggy Carter in what seems to be a multiversal void. I think that they're laying down the foundation of this project to potentially tie into No Way Home and definitely tie into Doctor Strange 2. Final I point would like
1: here. that. I would like the interconnectedness. I'm not sure the a- average casual fan would be up to speed. They would need to do it in a way where if you hadn't seen one, if you're still on board and, and everything makes sense, but given that we're going to be kind of pouring over every little detail. Yeah, I'm on board.
2: Final point here. What is going on with the watcher? Not only does he seem more present with each passing week, but this week he actually converses with strange and not only that, but he seems to have a conscience as he chides Strange for the choices he made. And he was like, look, if I could save your world and punish you instead, I would, but I can't. Which suggests he's an active participant. Like he's not just watching, he's thinking about what he's watching. And I've always found it odd for them to bring in Jeffrey Wright, someone of Jeffrey Wright's caliber, just to do these line readings at the beginning of end of what if. So I imagine a live action crossover is eventual which leads me to my question will the watcher become an ally in the battle against kang
1: that would be really really cool i think a live action watcher beyond what we got in i believe it was guardians or guardians 2 with stan lee i think that would be really really cool because it is a being of immense knowledge and power that is very of the multiverse pr-
2: of the multiverse particularly
1: yeah, so I, I think that would be an interesting wrinkle to throw in that also provides you with a, you know, emergency, breaking case of emergency deus ex machina, if you need it, you know? Right. And one that would be at least, we'd be like, well, you know what? They kind of set it up before, so it, we'll, we'll give them a pass on that one. I like that.
2: And then my other thought was, will he be the one responsible for Secret Wars instead of the Beyonder, who in the comics is sort of the, multiversal, omnipotent presence that creates Battle World and sends all of the Avengers there. Secret Wars has been something that fans have been talking about for years now, but particularly since Loki seemed to hint at it. So I'm wondering if the Watcher is going to be the MCU's Beyonder and be the one to sort of spur a Secret Wars-esque arc.
1: That would be pretty cool. I'd be on board with that and. If Jeffrey Wright were to continue into that role, it would make sense for someone who's never seen What If, but goes, you know, I recognize that voice. I I think that's that really talented actor I like. No wonder he's in the MCU. You know, it still works without them having to perky jerk themselves into a pretzel.
2: And then one final shout out. I, I just want to point out the score this week. I thought it was some of the best music that the MCU has ever done. That was a really good breakdown, man. Thank you, pal. I thought that you you would have. Uh, I I thought that this week would have had you more locked in, but
1: I, I think there's just a ceiling when it comes to outside of the twilight zone on episodic anthologies for me. Like Black Mirror works because they're mini movies. You know, they're usually like an hour and fifteen minutes, but half hour. I'm I'm liking it, but it's just hard to sink your teeth into when it's these quick little one offs.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: But you know, I like it. It's just I'm not thinking as deeply about it as you are, which I respect. But you well, know the I only am,
2: reason that I think I was so locked into this week is the combination of Doctor Strange being my favorite character in the MCU and the romantic sci-fi plot.
1: <laughs> you do love yourself some some Doctor Strange and some romantic sci-fi. Those okay. are two of your go-to pillars of nerddom. Yep. 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 <laughs> All right, well, one thing I am passionate about is Shang-Chi comes out this weekend. People are going to start seeing it in about 15 minutes our time when I think the first showing start on Thursday like seven night. Block, right? yeah. yeah. So we are going to get into some spoilers for Shang-Chi. If you haven't seen it, you don't want spoilers, duck out now. Go to our next conversation, which is about the future of the MCU. But if you're sticking around, we gave our non-spoiler reviews last week. I want to jump in, Eric, to some hot button spoiler questions. We got a handful that I think this movie raises and that We can push ourselves forward in the MCU. So, Eric, my first question, what elements of Shang-Chi were you most pleasantly surprised by? Not named Akufina, because we both gave her plenty of ups, deservedly so, last week.
2: Yeah, I think people, if you aren't familiar with her work, I think that you're going to come away from this film being like, holy shit, she's hilarious. She's a scene stealer. I'm going to say the villain. I'm hoping that the Mandarin is a sign of things to come in the MCU in terms of its villains going forward, specifically with how much I sympathize with him. A lot of the MCU villains just feel like they exist for the purpose of doing bad when you don't really relate to their actual goal. That is not the case in this film. You understand, while you may not agree, you understand and sympathize with what the Mandarin is trying to do. And then you add the context of the fact that not only is he the villain, but he's also the hero's father. And that gets you to buy into the family drama of it all, which remains at the center of the film, despite how magical it is. And then therefore, because of that investment in both the villain and the main plot dynamics of the family, I think that it makes the third act work as well as any MCU third act has, because not only are you blown away by the spectacle of it all, but you're genuinely concerned for the character's outcomes.
1: At that point, just brings me back to the original Iron Man. Jeff Bridges is like, I'm evil because money. I want more money. It's like he's a surrogate father to Tony Stark, and he's just so willing to knock him to the side and then basically kill him because of money.
2: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just,
1: I'm like, come on, Obadiah Stone or whatever the fuck your name is. <laughs> That was stupid. But yeah, I agree with you, Tony Luong. And I apologize if I'm butchering that. He was great in this movie. And I think the movie's emphasis on family dynamics and legacy, that really worked for me and helped ground some of the more ludicrous moments. Uh, I was surprised how funny the movie is beyond Aquafina. I just Mm -hmm. really wasn't expecting it to be that comedic, that laugh out loud hilarious. I also love the soundtrack. You know, it's it's very urban. and. Ooh, and the soundtrack hip-hop. drops
2: today, I think, bud. Yeah, yeah,
1: it drops today. Just, you know, urban hip-hop songs abound. I, I love that kind of music. I love that about Black Panther. It was really, really, really engaging and exciting. You know, a great beat comes on. You're like, wow, someone's about to get their ass whooped to this beat.
2: When the credits rolled, you caught me talking to my phone <laughs> saying, Siri, what song is this? <laughs>
1: It was pretty fun. I'm like, bro, which was a huge
2: risk because there were still post-credit scenes to come, yeah. and the uh, what's the word for like the people who watch to make sure that there aren't phones? Yeah,
1: they, they basically have like studio ushers. To but make they
2: them. they were lurking. But there yeah. I was trying to Shazam this song.
1: And actually, <laughs> I wrote it down somewhere.
2: "Fire in the Sky" everyone by Anderson Pack.
1: Yeah, fire. Really, really, really good song. All right, our next question. In the movie, and as we've seen in trailers, so this isn't really a spoiler, Abomination and Wong are fighting in that underground brawl club. Uh, after the fight, Wong says he's been training Abomination. Now, Eric, all this time, we've kind of been thinking that Abomination might be brought back to join the Thunderbolts. But that squad of baddies... We? Really... Yeah.
2: I don't think I've ever said
1: that. We've talked about this, and like that's been the general rumor about... Uh... Okay. I don't know, fuck it. Regardless... The Thunderbolts, that that squad of somewhat baddies doesn't really seem to jive with Wong's style. So I'm curious what might be going on here. Uh, I have a few theories, Eric. You know, the Thunderbolts, as we've seen, or as we think to be seeing, are being recruited by Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Val. You know, we got Zemo. Quickly, we got
2: have your theories accounted for Wong's appearance in the No Way Home trailer?
1: I'm, I'm about to talk to... I'm, I'm going to talk to about about it a little bit Um In in a couple minutes when we get to another section, but here this isn't quite the Wong theory yet. Okay, go ahead. You know, so we've seen Val recruiting, you know, Zemo, John Walker, Yelena. So we know she's putting the team together. Yeah, sure, Eric. I mean, Abomination could join; it would make sense. But because of Wong's involvement, it does seem a little out of left field, given that they are growing close. I'd love to see Abomination personally show up in She-Hulk. And since we know Bruce Banner is going to be in that, and since we saw, which we'll get to again in a post-credit scene, that he can return to his normal state from the Professor Hulk state, maybe Abomination could want that as well. Maybe he's hoping he can do a little back and forth so he's not just stuck in disgusting monster form.
2: Well, I've also read that it's been confirmed that Tim Roth is coming back to voice him.
1: That would make sense. I didn't um, know that, but that would make I sense. Don't, I don't... I-
2: I don't think the plot of the film gives you much hint in terms of what's going on there.
1: No, no, not at all. But that's why it's a good question. But I will say less so than
2: Thunderbolts, I'm more partial to like perhaps Wong being aware that a multiversal war is coming and trying to bolster his quote-unquote squadron the best he can.
1: That would be my guess
2: only because... And I think the timeline of this all factors in immensely because in the No Way Home trailer, we see him leaving somewhere. So if this takes place before Shang-Chi, the obvious guess would be that he's going to the events in Shang-Chi. But if it takes place after, that throws whatever the hell is going on with Wong into total, (laughs) total doubt. Because if you combine him pretty much cage fighting with him abandoning Doctor Strange, even though he knows that Doctor Strange is about to pull some bullshit, I feel like Wong is planning for something and that there's a mysterious Mordo factor to this all.
1: I was going to touch on that in a little bit. That
2: perhaps Wong is building, not an army, but like I said, a squadron to to clash with Mordo doing the same thing.
1: So that's it, huh? We some type of sorcerer squad. (laughs) Oh God. The
2: less that we talk about that film on this podcast, the better. (laughs)
1: All right, cutting back now to your great soliloquy before, what if episode four, Doctor Strange is absorbing creatures for their ma- magical abilities from across the multiverse, including what looked like to me a dragon-esque figure that came, v- came across very, very similar to the dragons at the end of Shang-Chi. Given that the movie deals with you know mystical realms that clearly exist, outside of our earthly plane, should we expect more overlap with Doctor Strange and Shang-Chi? Because to me, that seems like a natural next step evolution for Shang-Chi too.
2: Absolutely. I think one of the big takeaways for me was how truly magical slash mystical the film turned out to be. Ipso facto, when I had the chance to speak to its director, I had asked him, I was like, dude, your movie is opening up to the same questions that we asked about Wandavision and Loki, which is where the hell is Doctor Strange and why yeah. is he not doing his job? Where
1: Particularly
2: is because fucking Wong is is here.
1: Dating back to Wandavision, we we need answers. We need an answer. But that we-
2: suggests that there's something strange afoot.
1: Yeah, no pun intended.
2: Right, but I mean, I don't know, and I think that a more outlet, and not to suck our own dick, but I think that more outlets should have picked up this quote because he essentially confirmed. Yes, something is going on with Doctor Strange and we haven't told you yet.
1: Yeah. I mean this is full this is Mephisto to the 10th power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now just how powerful do we think Shang-Chi is with the 10 rings? Because you you said here and I think you're right, not quite a Captain Marvel, Thor, Doctor Strange level, but is he arguably the strongest earthbound hero because to me when really thinking about this and watching what the capabilities are of the Ten Rings and everything. I think he's clearly above Cappy and Winter Soldier Spider-Man. as a fighter. I think from a pure destructive power scale, I think the Ten Rings give him power that is on par or even more dangerous than Iron Man because the Ten Rings seem to turn someone into a one-man WMD just by themselves. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I, I think if you look in the context of the villains that are going to take center stage in the MCU going forward. And, you know, there's a very real chance that Thor is done after Thor four. So that leaves you with captain Marvel, Dr. Strange. And then I'd argue Shang is, is next in terms of, cause he's definitely stronger than Spider-Man. I would argue that he's stronger than black Panther guardians. Absolutely. And yes, they aren't earthbound, but just in general, He's not also, a
1: god, but he's a hitter, you know?
2: I mean, those 10 rings are a difference maker.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tony Luong's character, the real Mandarin, doesn't basically become a warlord for a thousand years also, by accident.
2: Right, and you bring up a thousand years, and I feel like that would have been a, a clever way to work in the Eternals as well, which I was surprised really? that they they didn't do that. Similarly-
1: Maybe they will in Eternals.
2: and Right, and just a quick, Tangent. Were you surprised how, when they describe how Ten Rings has been around for thousands of years and influenced various important events, were you surprised that they didn't show any specific MCU examples of that?
1: I guess I wasn't surprised because I think they wanted it to be forward thinking. We're introducing a new solo lead character. We're trying to build up a new franchise, which we'll talk about actually at the end of this conversation, which I'm really excited about. I think it was. We, we don't want to look back because the MCU is infamous for self-referencing, self-referen- reference right. for better and for worse. I think it was smart to push forward, but I am curious because they also talk about, we know it's not vibranium, we know it's not something else. They make a point of saying, what the fuck is this shit, you guys? Right. So <laughs> that's, that's clearly going to be a, a point of emphasis moving forward, and I'm curious what the answer is. Yeah. So, where does the third at climax rank for you in the MCU? Because anyone who's seen it now knows it is weird as shit. It is a Dragon V dragon CGI explosion. You know, did it work for you or were you? Well, they it?
2: also mix in elements of an alternate dark universe, yeah. and they've got the whole sort of crouching tiger battle going on, yeah, airbending going on. And they've got the family dynamics with Shang versus father lot going on. This is one of my favorite third acts in the MCU so far. You and I remarked to each other in the theater. It's great not to see a in guy third act. Those
1: damn blue sky beams. Now,
2: you had a problem with the CGI. Yeah. I, I, I didn't pick up on that as much, but I would say in general, and I'd also say that this is probably an exception to the rule. I would imagine MCU third acts are still going to be generally the same going forward. But I, I think that this film's commitment to its family dynamics mixed in with unique visuals of its third act, create a concoction that's one of the most compelling that the MCU has put forth so far.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I I love the third act weirdness. It is completely bad shit, insane third act that is so askew, so left of center and so radically different than anything in MCU history. And frankly, so ludicrous and borderline stupid that I actually really, really enjoyed it. You know, Destin Daniel Critton said that basically with that third act, I am going to plant Shang-Chi firmly in the realm of otherworldly mystical. And like it or not, I'm pushing the MCU into a new corner, kicking and screaming. I really dug it. I think after a mostly homogenized franchise, we all love Kevin Feige, but this is a producer-driven franchise that all looks and feels the same for the most part. It was a breath of fresh air. And emphasizing and eliciting comic book elements in a way that works for me not the silly costumes but something that is patently insane but works and yet
2: despite all that they're still able to work in the classic cliche tropes like aquafina's katie her like yeah heroic moment of shooting the bow like yes that's so traditionally corny but in the context of the film you're like fist pump, and you're like yeah she did it even though it's the most predictable thing ever and i think that speaks to and something that the mcu should take note of at large the work that they put in it in the first two acts to get yeah. you to the point where even though it's
1: slathered in corn you enjoy that heroic moment for her and the the pacing of the early third act is is garbage. That's where garbage. You like, uh, yeah, that's
2: my one complaint of the third fi- of of the film is that between the second and third acts, when they arrive at the mandarin's compound, from the time that they escape, it just stops to a dead halt.
1: But viewed on the one to one comparison, we have this low point of generic silliness mixed with this high point of like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in the MCU. And that makes the third act battle even more exciting because the minutes preceding it are so boring. Right, exactly, yeah. All right, the first credit scene, it's kind of a round table discussion. Wong, Shang-Chi, Katie, Bruce Banner, Captain Marvel. To be clear,
2: Bruce Banner. Yeah,
1: not Professor Hulk, not Professor Hulk. So speaking of Shang-Chi 2, you know, A, what, do you have any thoughts what we just talked about in terms of the origins of the Ten Rings? Because that was the main point of their conversation. And then B, what do you think he and Wong will get or, up to? You know, what sort of issues requires their attention? And is that why Wong is seen leaving in the No Way Home trailer, as we kind of discussed already a little bit?
2: Let me just say that, and this is kind of an absolutely terrible podcast journalist answer. I don't know where Shang-Chi goes from here. There are so many different routes that it can That's camera. not a terrible
1: answer. That's a good answer. Both
2: in, in the context of the type of character he is, he's something unique to the MCU in the sense that his primary offensive outside of the Ten Rings is hand-to-hand combat. We don't really see that much in the MCU. So how they're going to work Shang-Chi into these multiversal outer space themes, I think it's going to be tough. I will say that um did find it fascinating how they're positioning Katie to be sort of his sidekick, like a buddy cop. Like anytime you see Shang, Katie will be by his side. I think that's sort of a fascinating Robin-esque dynamic that the MCU doesn't really have yet, outside of the brief Tony Stark Spider-Man combo. Yeah, that would um, be cool. But in terms of like what I think this means for the future of his of the future of his MCU role. I truly don't know. I will say that when I spoke to Destin Daniel Cretton, I asked him and I stole a point from you had you had pointed out that Shang is a very audience Avatar-esque character. Thank you for that. Thank you. I asked him with that in mind, which MCU heroes do you most want to see him bounce off of and converse with and fight? He said Spider-Man, but then he also said, we have very cool things for Shang-Chi planned. So, obviously, obviously, this is not a mind-blowing statement, but whatever they're going to do in Shang-Chi 2 has already been mapped out. And if it's already been mapped out, that means they're probably already beginning the process of laying the foundations for it in other MCU films. So, I bet if we talk again in a year, we will know what Shang... Shang-Chi 2 is going to be about. But right now, I genuinely don't know because the, the Hulk tie-in and the Captain Marvel tie-in and the Ten Ring series tie-in and the very nature of the character himself means that he could be pulled in so many different directions. And I actually think that that's a very cool thing.
1: Yeah, so for the Wong of it all, my first thought is that the door to the other realm that they opened in Shang-Chi, in which the dragons came out of, is still letting other creatures in. Or, you know, something like when you close one mystical door, another open. So that is maybe what Shang-Chi and, and Katie and Wong need to do. But my thought against that was like, if that's the case, why isn't Strange involved? Where is he? Right. So my second theory is that Wong, like you touched on before, maybe in the No Way Home trailer is going after Mordo, who has begun killing people. You and know, I also
2: think it's worth noting Mordo was not in this week's What If? No, he's not. They brought back the entire Doc Strange cast, pretty much, except for him. So
1: he's up to something.
2: And Mordo has already been confirmed for Doctor Strange, too. So I they are operating right now at such a level of clarity that I mean the MCU has always been doing unprecedented content. But now that they're fully in, like I feel like for the first time the Marvel cinematic universe has an almost beating heart in the same way that comic books do like it just feels like this world is a living breathing world and you could pop in at this corner and you could pop in at this corner and no matter where you pop in they're all tied up and that to me is just like the fact that they worked in fucking Captain, Mar- Captain Marvel and Hulk and Wong and then therefore no way home into a post credit scene
1: is, is nuts that was cool and I do like that we now have a diversity of focus within the mcu which you and i like to talk about we've got mystical we've got earthbound we've got cosmic and we've just got straight up powerful too and yet they can all intersect in ways that aren't confusing or jarring it all fits right now that brings me to our next question the post-credits scene too. are you excited for what seems to be being set up which is a 10 rings disney plus series
2: Absolutely. I think that focusing a series on not a hero is a very cool thing for the MCU to do. If you look at all their shows coming up, they are all focused on a specific titular hero. I Although think-
1: Loki did- wasn't quote unquote. It's called
2: Loki. What the fuck are you talking no, about? He's
1: not a hero. It was the... Oh, 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 oh. oh. I'm saying
2: person. hero. I'm saying hero in like a storytelling sense. Like he's the main I mean, character.
1: Okay, got it. Got
2: it. Got yeah, got yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. He's the protagonist. They've yeah. always been focused on one Person. This is obviously not the case. I had said to you, had I known that Shang-Chi's sister would have been so good in the film, I would have put in an interview request for her too. I really enjoyed the character. I think that the idea of the Ten Rings, sort of an organized crime, but also with like an element of magic to it, is an uncharted waters for the MCU it goes further down the road of representation, having what seems to be a Chinese, what I'm sure that she's a Chinese woman. What I'm saying is she seems to be like, she'll be the lead of that show. I think yeah. that that's very cool. So I would argue with say, I'm looking forward to something like this more than I am like a She-Hulk.
1: My answer to this question was very simple. If it maintains the same level of martial arts artistry as Shang-Chi, then hell yeah. Shang. I, Shang-Chi, thank you. <laughs> and I am super pumped, because that is something that needs to stay in the MCU long term. Yep. All right, so we we wanted to do Shang-Chi first, because it is such a forward-looking focus of the MCU. Because this is our stepping stone into the larger conversation, what we have now, which is the MCU's future. Shang-Chi introduces Marvel's first new solo lead character since 2019's Captain Marvel and is the MCU's first linear origin story since 2015's Ant-Man.
2: That is a very important point.
1: It's been six years. Since it was within the timeline like that. And to me, it closes out an unofficial trilogy of successful introductions of new leads in Black Panther, Captain Marvel, which you and I don't love, but was commercially successful and the character played very well. Sorry,
2: you mean Black Widow.
1: No, Captain Marvel.
2: Oh, I thought you said Black Panther.
1: No, no, Yeah, so so to me, it closes out an unofficial trilogy of successful introductions of new leads in Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Shang-Chi. Gotcha, gotcha. So I have questions now on a greater scope of what we're going to see in the MCU looking forward. So to start, Eric, what are our most anticipated new character introductions that we know are coming up in the MCU? Projects that are confirmed publicly.
2: Okay, so I have three and a half to four.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got a few for each, and I want to say before, if everyone's like, oh, another big long soliloquy, I purposely looked at Eric's answer so I could do different answers oh, so we could have a little you, variety.
2: So I, uh, I had brought this up last week, and I don't think he's going to ever become a solo franchise character, but I think Dane Whitman in Eternals is fascinating. I think the idea of a medieval knight superhero is unique and appealing and something I've never seen and context modern day and the context of him being juxtaposed as the human hero against these otherworldly almost godly heroes mixed in the fact that he seems to have a dare I say romantic sci-fi <laughs> plot line going on with <laughs> Gemma Chan
1: You're on brand. which
2: which then leads to a love triangle with Richard Madden's character I mean there's just a lot there that I like, um, you know, you would assume like Dane Whitman seems like the perfect Disney plus show character.
1: Yeah. I could totally get behind that. Not Absolutely. big enough,
2: not big enough for his own films, but also tied into the films. And therefore that middle ground is his own show. I mean, that to me, seems, plus regardless of sour taste of game of Thrones ending aside, I still think he remains a very like one direction Justin bieber as fame. Like, I still think he has that sort of boy band charm to him. So I definitely think you could build a show on his back. Um, this one, I feel like it's obvious for all MCU fans out there. Moon Knight. I mean, I, we, have, we have talked about that show a billion times, so I don't need to delve into it any further. I will also say Daredevil, which we talked about in the last few weeks. We're, what, 90% sure that Cox is going to come back as him. So yeah. I'll be fascinated to see how they deploy him. Will he get his own show? Will he get his own movie? Will he be a Hulk-esque figure who is just sort of a supporting player in all of these team-up films? Or even pops up in a Thor, Ragnarok-esque sidekick role? And now this is so much not the character, but the actor playing the character. I am fascinated to see what route they go down when it comes to Wolverine. because. Back when they cast Hugh Jackman in the role, he wasn't a movie star, but they were casting against type. He is about a foot taller than the character should be and is far more handsome and charismatic than Wolverine is in the comics. I know that the MCU has the capability, as they're showing Eternal somewhat, or even in the sense of Thor, to unearth talent and make them a star. But in the case of Wolverine specifically, who I think is probably one of Marvel's three most important heroes, I think they should go the star route. And I I don't care if it's a six foot two Henry Cavill or a five foot eleven Taron Egerton. I just would like to see a name attached to him and Cyclops and just a handful of them. They don't all need to be home runs. Like a few weeks ago, we talked about potentially Michaela Cole being cast as Storm. I think that'd be great. But in the context of like Dr. Doom and Wolverine and these upcoming seminal figures, I really want to see them cast starring names.
1: For me, I have three as well. First of which, Deviants and Celestials. You know, these are characters that play a role in the cosmic construction. They've had a massive trickle down effect on the whole universe. The MCU lore and mythology, Eric, to me, much like the Jedi and the Force history and abilities, that's really interesting to me. So getting more into that in Eternals and Beyond, super pumped to see that. Uh, Adam Warlock. Kevin Feige and James Gunn have both stated that Adam Warlock will be a very important uh part of the cosmic side of the mcu in the future and we're also talking about a heavy hitter in terms of the power scale so i think guardians of the galaxy volume 3 if the potential- you can
2: why don't you tell why that's the case with his powers because i have no idea
1: he's like created to be the perfect being now in this the uh the aisha the leader of the gold people whose name ex- escapes me they create him in the comics he's got a different backstory but you know he he can be he can hold his own against some. Oh, he's forces. the
2: being in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 post-credit scene, right? That they've yes, got in Yeah, he's the that. one in the pod. Gotcha. So okay. we know
1: we know he's coming. We know he's going to be important to the cosmic side, which I'm really excited for. And then I'm super excited to see whichever main characters turn out to be Skrulls and Secret Invasions, because in the Secret Invasion storyline, they also create Super Skrulls who prevent possess a varying amalgamation of powers and i wonder if that connects to anything <clears throat> strange in the future <clears> dude because i think uh, that's an interesting little side door dude i think th-
2: i just think it speaks to the mcu's utter and again while there are parts of the mcu that is very formulaic predictable and well worn it's because they have they're the ones who invented it we're all talking about multiverse this and that we forget about the scrolls like they are gonna drop that bomb on us any year now. Oh hey, by the way, fifty percent of these people are scrolls.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be like, holy fuck,
2: you know what I mean? Like the like, they were gonna the, go like, and
1: rewatch every single project they were oh, in over the last five years. Uh,
2: I like the point that I'm trying to make is we're all so wrapped up in multiverse this and that, and secret wars this and that that we forget that there's an entire secret invasion plotline coming. Like that like I'm they revealed on, that Nick on, fucking called. Fury, the founder of the Avengers, was not Nick Fury and people have totally forgot about it. So <laughs> I just think that that you write that I am blown away by your choice there because I haven't heard anybody talk about the secret invasion future of the MCU at all cuz we've been so wrapped up in Kang and the Eternals and timelines that that has flown so <laughs> under the radar that it's going to peel our fucking cap back. When As you're fond it. of
1: saying, stay woke.
2: Yeah, but that's just a great choice, dude. You you I mean, do you see the secret invasion scroll plot lines playing? What percentage of the MCU going forward do you think is multiversal versus scroll?
1: I think that's a great question. It depends. How many heavy hitters can they get for secret invasion to return, you know? That's They're they're racking them up. Yeah, they're they're definitely racking them up. I'm I'm curious, and I'm also curious if the multiverse extends beyond Doctor Strange too. And then then we we haven't even.
2: Sorry, go ahead. What?
1: No, that's that's what's what you know. That's all I'm saying. And then
2: and we haven't even accounted for the WandaVision Darkhold Blade.
1: Hopefully Moon Knight gives us a nice little- And
2: Moon Knight as well, exactly. So whew, whew, I'm getting gassed up just talking about it, yeah.
1: But but that's all the things that we do know. Which characters, Eric, would we like to see introduced to the MCU that aren't yet confirmed to be on route? Because so- here's where we can also expand the scope and do some other creative intersections that I'm sure are in the plans. We just don't know them publicly.
2: So we bring this up on the show probably once a month. I don't think I am unique in choosing this character. I do think I'm unique in my reasons why. I want to see Dr. Doom. Now, A, I don't want to see him as the villain in the first Fantastic Four film because they've already done that twice. And I think it's in the MCU's DNA to sort of carve its own path. So I'm hoping that that's the way that they go. B, because I think Dr. Doom presents Marvel, and depending on how dark they make Moon Knight, with their first real opportunity to make an anti-hero film. And we talk about them being formulaic in both a good and bad way. They have never truly ventured into the anti-hero space. And I think doing so not in a fucking show, in a movie, doing so in a movie. For the MCU, even though antiheroes are one of film's most popular concepts, in the context of the MCU, that would be entirely new ground, i.e. why we like the Mandarin so much. But he's not an antihero, but for once, it's a villain who you're like, oh, I get it. So if yeah. they double down on that shit with somebody like Doctor Doom who is not I hope only, he's he's
1: an ally to the Fantastic Four in the first movie, not well, a that's what
2: I was gonna say. Who I mean that's right.
1: I, I stole your thunder. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm gonna say that is an anti-hero.
2: <laughs> he could be a good guy and a bad guy in the same movie. And I think that that's what makes him fascinating. In addition to Dr. Doom is an inherently sci-fi multiversal character. If there was ever a time to enter. like I would love if the Fantastic Four post-credit scene
1: is announcing
2: a Dr. Doom film.
1: That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. I'd be um, 100% on board with that.
2: So that's my number one. Okay. Uh, next, I'm going with Ghost Rider again, because just wanna, I just want to see what we saw in What If, with the MCU continuing to push the darker side of being a hero, and that it's not always somebody who's just like, oh, I'm doing this because I've got a good heart. You know, like Ghost Rider is a... Dark, dark characters. So the more that they sort of push towards anti-heroism leans into more of the type of traditional films that I like. And then finally, and this sort of lends to your Adam Warlock pick, Richard Ryder slash Nova. The Nova Corps, of course, was teased in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. He is like, again, I'm not a Marvel comic guy, but from what I understand, the primary Nova Corp leader. I just think the idea of a space cop, i.e. Green Lantern, is a very cool thing, especially within the context of the MCU when you've got Lokis and Thanos and TVA all running around raising hell. I would love to see like the people tasked with dealing with that.
1: Hey, know? hey, you there. Stop. Stop. Stop yeah. doing that. Right.
2: I would love to see a phone call between the Nova Corps and TVA clerks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the bosses are really... You know what I mean? So... Those I would comedy. be my three. Doctor Doom, Ghost Rider, and Nova.
1: So I've got two. Number one, Silver Surfer slash Galactus, which guaranteed we'll see at some point. Uh, you know, these are guys that have crossed paths with the Avengers in Fantastic Four, of course. I think Silver Surfer has this tragic backstory that makes him sympathetic and deadly at the same time. And Galactus can easily be a Thanos-level threat if they so choose. Those are, that's an obvious answer, which I'm excited about. I'm sure we'll get it soon. And then number two an MCU Norman Osborn, because we know Sam Raimi's Norman Osborn, played by Willem Dafoe, is most likely showing up in No Way Home. I'm curious if that's also a backdoor intro to Marvel's Norman Osborn Prime, quote unquote, because I'm thinking perhaps the Raimi version inspires our MCU Norman Osborn. And there was that theory a few years ago that Walton Goggins' crew in Ant-Man and the Wasp was secretly working for Norman Osborne. So I just think there's a way for this guy to be looking down on the havoc being wrought on the city, swirling a glass of whiskey, being like, this guy on the glider. I like this guy. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put
2: Yeah, but given what memory. you said about but given what you said about Spider-Man's Sony fate in our No Way Home trailer pod last week, how could that be possible at this point?
1: I'm I'm hoping that <laughs> see everything- you fucker.
2: Come on, you can't have it both ways, dog.
1: Well, I listen, I, I'm hoping, but I just think that would be a great way to introduce- And what sucks is that
2: that is, that is the type of role that you could cast a fucking heavy hitter, yeah. in, you know what I mean? There's so. been a
1: lot of A-listers fan-casted in that yeah, role, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So now, Eric, which characters do you think can become the new Iron Man in Captain America? Not in terms of power or anything like that, in terms of becoming ace building block anchors of new Marvel faces?
2: Yeah, so one is my boy- Doctor Strange, Um, if nothing else, because I think his powers hold the key to where the MCU was trying to go. Like I watched Doctor Strange actually this morning because I got up at like fucking 530. Actually, I I, I mean, I mean, that's your move, right?
1: I mean, a lot of I have a lot of trouble sleeping. So and I also never sleep late. So I
2: was just up and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just start my day. And I threw that on and it references all the multiversal shit that we're seeing now back then. And that was in 2016. So they've been laying that groundwork for some time now. So I just think that in the context of A, how long he's been around, and B, how key his powers are to where the storytelling seems to be going. I mean, I think we're already seeing him being sort of propped up as like one of one of the MCU top three dogs
1: right. at this point.
2: B Spider-Man, but uh
1: <laughs> dot dot
2: dot. Yeah, dot dot dot. Straight up, those are my notes. But uh, dot dot dot. And then now I think that this is where it's probably my home run thought here. The fantastics Four, specifically the Reed Richards Sue Storm dynamic, I like that, could be a home run because it'll give and I and this goes back to my what if point where I, like the sheer fact of Christine Palmer saying I love you, I was like, whoa! I don't think I've heard those words before. The romantic dynamic of those two, like that is the core. Fa- I mean, they are married. That's their core f- foundation. Them being the faces of the franchise while also always having that overhanging, like the love of my life could die at any moment. I think we'll give the MCU a real anchor that it has never had outside of the Tony Stark. Um, Pepper. Uh-huh. And Cap and Peggy. And even so, those were always B or C plots, whereas Reed and Sue, their love is their A plot. They will never be able to sweep that side.
1: I like that. I think they could definitely be definitive pillars of the MCU moving forward. I want to see that. I think you're absolutely right. For me, I think Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa absolutely could have filled that void. And I think Marvel was positioning him to do just that. In lieu of that Black Panther, I do think characters that are being groomed to step into that role do need a strong foundation or pedigree. So, you know, if Thor sticks around beyond a fourth movie, which doesn't seem likely, he could serve as something of a grand unifying force. I'd like to see Mark Ruffalo's Hulk continue to be used as an added value uh, element in other solo flicks and team-up movies. And I think longer term, and we'll expand on this in the next question, longer term, Professor X could eventually become a more involved variation of Nick Fury in that he's a quarterback who who guides, who cajoles, who teaches and supports. But at the same time, he has the pe- ability to kill everyone on the planet. If yeah, he but, don't, to.
2: but don't you think that that's his ceiling? What do you mean? It, like his unphysicalness only makes him as good as like a superpowered Nick Fury. Like he's never going to have his own movie. And doesn't that inherently cap their potential to be an mcu core
1: i I see what you mean in terms of talking about a foundational building block but i think he is someone who can traverse films and quote-unquote franchises because he is an emotional core he is someone who is brought in not just for exposition or someone just to be incapacitated like they were in all the x-men movies but someone who can truly be a thematic vehicle and a north star of morality throughout and that and And that that sort of
2: Real quick, just brings me to my point about why I would love to see them take a swing on Doc Doom, a Magneto solo film, especially if they somehow bring back Fassbender, would bang. Who wouldn't want to see that? Leaning into like having Doc, like the likes of Doctor Doom and that become core tenants, would be fucking sweet. Do I think that they're gonna do that? In my heart of hearts, no. But if on paper, a Magneto Doctor Doom film would crush, and then ipso facto, could you make them one of your top four or five dogs? I say absolutely.
1: Well, to build on that and to to wrap this up, Eric, how, if at all, would you tweak the Fantastic Four and X-Men so as to differentiate slash reinvigorate them from previous iterations. So
2: I've brought up these first two during the course of the pod, so I'll fly through these quick. I wouldn't start the Fantastic Four franchise with Doc Doom as the villain, show the mainstream something new. Uh, I'm pretty confident that they're going to do that For the X-Men, I would flirt with casting some new talent, but there would be a few handful key characters that I would attach a big name to, specifically Wolverine. And then finally, and this is not my own thought, this has been out there in the world. I think that you have brought this up, Brandon. The original X-Men films had the gene be scientific. This time around, I wouldn't mind seeing a more magical, multiversal
1: route
2: in. Like a new origin
1: story a little bit, right? The same
2: goes for the Fantastic Four. How can we tie the multiverse plotline into these two key character groups coming in? That is what I would like to see. The multiverse being the birth of these groups.
1: It's funny because in some ways we're aligned, in some ways we differ completely on this last question, which I like. So I think it would really, really behoove Marvel not to start with the same X-Men players we've seen for 20 years and not go the star route for very familiar faces. Let Professor X, let Wolverine, let Cyclops, Jean Grey, Magneto, let them sit on the sidelines for a few more years. Let them build up some more momentum for their return. And let's kick off the mutant thread of the MCU with slightly more obscure X-Men characters. Give me a Kitty pride, a Jubilee, a Maggot, a Marrow, even a little bit of Gambit because Mm. it's such a rich and textured world with such a kind of rainbow coalition of characters that many of their B and C listers can serve as really, really creatively bold and compelling footholds into the larger X-Men world without regurgitating characters and storylines and themes that we have now seen ad nauseum in close to a dozen X-Men related films. So that's how I would handle the X-Men for the Fantastic Four. Frankly, it may be boring, but i really like the theory that the Fantastic Four have been stuck in the quantum realm. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good theory. I don't care that it's predictable and now Kind of old hat in the mcu conversation it's a great in-universe explanation and then we also would be treated to some steve rogers fish out of water time adjustments as these characters from the 1950s are suddenly returned to the modern day and they got to navigate re- regaining their lives that's really interesting oh oh they would be like out of time as well yeah, they, they'd be like you know like like ant-man and, and uh the original hank pym and his wife were were back in the day heroes right they were, they were going to be, I think the theory was that they were scientists from like maybe S.H.I.E.L.D., but the 1950s-ish and they got stuck in the quantum realm and been missing ever since. I love that. And it ties into your your multiversal kind of crossover because the quantum realm is a part of that. And that would
2: also explain the somewhat dated corniness of their powers.
1: Exactly. It would be this, the proto superhero in, in a sense. So, again, oh, I, I love
2: that. I yeah, love I, that. I,
1: I know it's now it's well-worn territory. It's a theory that's been around since the original Ant-Man, but I think it really works. It's one of the few mainstream accepted, popular theories that I'm like, yes, continue well, with while that.
2: While I had heard the theory, I had never considered the part of it that they had been stuck there for a long time. I had just assumed since it's quantum science, it would be current day, and because there's no time there, it would feel like a hundred years to them, but it'd be one week. But I would them love being the, the like whole throwbacks thing stuck out of time makes. Yeah fits the character's originality in Marvel as, I mean, they are the first family. So, wow. I love that actually, yeah.
1: And then, you know, our existing heroes have to help them acclimate and there's there's all this comedy that goes on in this unique dynamic and then they throughout the rest of their Marvel stay retain this hokey mid-century americana that. optimism and self-confidence that doesn't really fit with our new cynical rah-rah cheerleader mcu yeah. And just a great dynamic moving yeah. forward so that's what i love absolutely all right i think that'll do it this is a pretty expansive marvel conversation i had fun with this one
2: dude i mean it's about goddamn time like we said at the <laughs> top it's the first future set mcu film in over two years which in and of itself is too damn long. Go out and fucking see it so we could get Eternals on time, so we could get No Way Home on time. Keep your eyes posted on this space in the coming weeks for... We've got a lot of films coming, Brandon. Malignant next week, Many Saints in Newark, early October. Of course, Dune, Last Night in Soho. Uh, I think think, uh, Hawkeye is supposed to premiere in November, maybe?
1: think so. Something like that. Something like
2: that. It is going to be, I, I think that the fall is going, like these next four months, knock on wood are going to be the best four or five film TV months of the year so far and of the last two years.
1: And as we said up top, if you have any up top, if you have any questions, comments, theories, stuff you want us to cover, hit us up at postcredpod at Eric Italiano, at great underscore Catsby. Leave us an Apple five star review. Please make it five stars. That'd be yes,
2: great. yes. And uh, one more thing at verified, those cocksuckers. Actually, <laughs> no, sorry, Twitter gods. Um, they finally gave your boy the blue check.
1: Oh, congratulations to Eric. He is now blue check verified. Hit him up.
2: But as I said on this podcast, podcast i think i would have rather post-cred pod got it and they didn't so all i want to know is whose dick did phase zero have to suck to get one
1: <laughs> i don't know who phase zero is
2: oh god it's comic book uh mcu podcast that is
1: a little similar to ours if i do myself. hopefully post-cred pod gets on the board soon
2: <sighs> all right brother until next okay, week brother. everybody peace yeah.
0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.